Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'll put your phone there if you want. <laughs> Hallelujah. God bless you, church. How are you all today? Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads and bow our hearts in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We just welcome you. You just come and just have your way. Hallelujah. We thank you. Lord, we thank you that you inhabit the praises of your people. Hallelujah. Thank you that you're here with us. Thank you that you're so patient, you're so kind, you're so gentle. Your merciful is just unending. Hallelujah. Just declare there's restoration in the house today, there's healing in the house today. Anything you need is available today. You can lay hold of it by faith. Just let hope come alive this morning. Hallelujah. I just believe God's just stirring the hearts. I just see almost just like a, a finger just reaching down. He's just reaching down into each heart and just stirring. And he's saying to you, come on, join with me. Stir yourself up. Come on, stir yourself up. Come on, don't resist. Go with me. Come on, stir yourself up. Stir yourself up. Hallelujah. 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 We thank you. We just yield under your mighty hand, under your will today. Hallelujah. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. Hallelujah. And to what Larry and Krista experienced at the Open Heavens Conference and even now as they're heading to the MFI Conference uh, in Portland, uh, the now do it again, Lord, being the theme of that conference. Lord, we say now do it again, but we just declare there's an open heaven. There's an open heaven to every son and daughter. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We thank you. Hallelujah. We declare it in Jesus' name. Let every principality, power, and every spiritual wickedness that surrounds this city, that seeks to operate in the city, let them hear that there's an open heaven where every believer is in the name of Jesus. Wherever believers are gathered this morning, in this city, there's an open heaven, hallelujah. Oh, and God doesn't open heaven to pour out a trickle. He pours out a flood, hallelujah. Oh, in Jesus' name, so let it be done, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, we're preaching a three-part series on generosity. Generosity, a matter, the matter of the heart. Brian preached a ripper sermon last week. If you missed it, please go and watch it again. Hallelujah. He spoke on stewarding your time, your talents, your tithe, and your trust. Hallelujah. So powerful. Well, Brian said something, I believe, totally under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Probably wasn't in his notes. I haven't checked. I should have checked, Brian. But he said, you own nothing. Hallelujah. You own nothing. And I agree with that. Hallelujah. You know, the world would say, naked you come, naked you go. You can't take it with you. They've got all these proverbs about it. But God says to us, hey, store up your treasures in heaven. Hey, come on, just focus here. Won't be long. Hey, I got a plan, and you can trust me. That's what our God says. There's a hopelessness about the world today. I want to just compare and contrast the world when it comes to this idea of generosity, the way that the world looks at it, 
title of what I'm sharing today is The Lifestyle of the Believer. Generosity is the lifestyle of the believer. It's the lifestyle of the born-again believer in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Generosity should be our default setting, but so often it's not. In so many ways, sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly, we switch the generosity off like it's a switch on a wall. We walk up, we switch it on for a little bit, we switch it off. We switch it on, we switch it off. Pastor's coming to visit your house. Quick, turn the generosity on. <laughs> I don't want to get a lesson about generosity. Hallelujah. Whatever it takes. But you know, in anything we talk about it in regard to generosity, we have to talk about it in light of the cross. We have to talk about it in light of the generosity that we saw displayed on the cross 2,000 years ago. That is the greatest act of generosity mankind will ever see, the greatest act of generosity that history will ever see happened on that cross, that great trading places where you and I with the debt of our sins, the debt of every sin that mankind has ever committed in act or in word or in thought was totaled up. Imagine the total totaled up, piled high, and poured into a cup for Christ to drink from, a cup of wrath, a cup of pain. God putting our sins on him because he knew for a fact we couldn't pay for it. Hallelujah. Generosity. And Scripture tells us that for the joy that was set before him, he endured it. You know why it was a joy? Because he saw you, and he saw you, and he saw you, and he saw me, and he saw you. I know more than a couple of you guys. <laughs> he saw all of you on the cross, and he saw you with a debt you couldn't pay, a debt that was going to keep you eternally separated from God. Yeah. And he saw it joyfully removed. Yeah. But even in Gethsemane, Christ said, Father, if there's any way that this cup that this cup can pass by. Is there some other way? Is there any other way? But if not, not my will, but yours be done. Oh, hallelujah. The obedience to do his father's will, to sit there facing a cup like that and to desire nothing else than the father's will. He didn't desire to escape the cup. He had a question about it said, I, I, you've taught me. I know your word. I know your scripture. I know everything. I have lived this life as they do. I left all of heaven behind. I came here and I have lived as they do. And you have taught me as you teach them. And I have learned every lesson. I see no other cup. Is there another cup? And the answer was no. And in that moment, his will was enough. Hallelujah. Oh, the greatest act of generosity. Can I get a hallelujah? So when we talk about generosity, we must talk about it in light of the cross. Hallelujah. I would say in the shadow, but we do not live in the shadow of the cross. We live in the light of the cross. Hallelujah. Oh, it's a beacon of hope to us. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, this world 
everyone who's out there in the world and doesn't know Christ, everyone who's running the world system, the very system that Lucifer, during the temptation, took Jesus up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said, these are mine. Jesus did not say they're not yours. Satan's got his system. He's running it. He's playing a long game. Wants to deceive as many as he can. Wants to lead as many as he can into damnation. He's working hard at it. It's a long plan. Caught up in this world system, and we live in this world. We're citizens of heaven, but we live in this world, do we not? We do. We live in this world. But those who live in this world without hope, without the cross, when it comes to them giving or being generous, well, they give out of what they can accumulate. They give out of their labor. They give out of their earning, their assets. They give out of their accumulated wealth. Or they're limited in their giving by the lack thereof. And they're motivated by things like karma and and maybe pride and maybe a good feeling. And you'll hear things said like, uh, I gave at the office, which really means that, look, I'm looking at a need here. I see that there's a need there. But you know what? I'm a giving person, and I've already given. I've already given. And when it comes to heaven, sometimes they will think to themselves, that you know what? I'm a good person. I've done a couple of good things. I think on that final day, God's going to weigh up my good against my bad, and he's going to let me in. It is not going to work that way. You can't earn it. But this world system tells people, lies to people, deceives people that they can earn it. The one with the most toys wins is the bumper sticker. No, the one with the most toys piled up, if they don't know Christ, all of those toys, all of that wealth, the Bible says, is being stored up for the righteous. Hallelujah. But for the righteous to do the right thing with. You know, for us as believers, yes, sometimes we give out of what we earn, but ultimately what we earn is backed up by heaven's resources. God gave you the talents. He gave you the ability. He gave you the opportunity. You came into this world with nothing, and God gave. And God gives. He reigns on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. He gives. But those who don't know Christ live as if they gave themselves the gift. As if they gave themselves the opportunity. As if they gave themselves the resources. As if they created the very substance of the food that they eat. But God says, no, I gave it all to you. A God who can provide all and is all sufficient. That's what backs up our giving. Our generosity is not natural. It's supernatural and it goes into natural places and it takes heaven with it. It takes the purpose and the plan of heaven with it. Oh, hallelujah. There is an anointing on our giving. God has made it so. And these things are so important to God. For the believer, generosity is a lifestyle. It's part of our supernatural lifestyle. Hallelujah. It's how we live. 
You know, if we just continue to compare the world and the, uh, of the fallen and the world of the believer and the world that we live in, we give out of heaven's resources. Hallelujah. In Matthew 10, verses 5 and 10, Jesus sent out the disciples on a training mission. Now, of course, he also sent us out, right? Go into all the world, preach the gospel. You can probably fill in the rest of that phrase there. But in Matthew 10, 5 and 10, Jesus sent out the disciples on a training mission to do the same thing. He said, go. I'm just going to summarize it for you. Preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's one of the most generous things you can do for anybody is take the time, have the courage to say, hey, you know what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hallelujah. Because people look at this crazy world and they see how nuts it is. And they see people like, you know, Klaus Schwab. Some of you won't know who I'm talking about. But Klaus Schwab standing there and going, you know, you'll, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. And he talks about the Great Reset. The crashing of the system that we've grown up with all of our lives. Why? So they can accumulate all of the wealth. It's part of the precursor to what we see in the book of Revelation. It's part of the precursor of a, of a coming mark of the beast. Not there yet. Not there yet. Oh, but it's coming. And we've never seen it so clearly as we have. The things going on with Russia and the Ukraine right now. Ezekiel 38. You can look at the Gog, Magog War. Many of you don't know. Go up, look up Ezekiel 38. Have a look. Because God's word, his prophetic time clock is happening. It's going to run on time. God's prophetic time clock runs on time. Hallelujah. On time, every time, and nothing in this world can delay it, and nothing in this world can actually stop it. Hallelujah. If you've been investing everything about yourself in this world, if your hope is in this world and its systems, your hope is in the wrong place. And for believers, we drift. Sometimes we vacillate. I trust you, God. And then we go and we look at our bank account. I'm not so sure, God. Don't look at your bank account. <laughs> I mean, I know you have to. But look, see what you need to see, and get your head out of it. Hallelujah. Get your bills. Don't look at your account and then look at your bills. Take your bills, sit down, pray over them. Father, I thank you, hallelujah, that you provide everything that I need. Everything. I'm sufficient in all things, hallelujah, in Jesus' name. And then go to your bank account and do whatever transfers you got to do. Oh, hallelujah. There's more than enough. There's more than enough, hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, we walk and we live habitually in the Holy Spirit. That is the lifestyle of the believer. I'm going to bring it all back. I'm going to take you from the cross to the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus told the disciples before he ascended, after he'd been resurrected, wait in Jerusalem until, I, until the one comes, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter comes. He will guide you and lead you into all knowledge. And they did. And like clockwork on a prophetic feast, the, the Feast of Pentecost, they're all gathered together there in one place, in one accord, and the Holy Spirit came in. Bam! The promise that had been wrapped up every year in that feast was fulfilled on time, right in that moment. Hallelujah. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke in other tongues that they never learned in class, other languages, and they spilled out into the streets, and they spoke with perfect dialect, the perfect 
accent and what were they all doing in all these various languages they were declaring the glory of God they were declaring Jesus Christ as Lord and my Savior as Messiah hallelujah and 3,000 people got saved that day religious people who were earning their way into heaven who had come to Jerusalem to try and get another tick on the board another run on the board this is going to help me get into heaven I'm a little more confident because I'm doing this religious thing today and they arrive there and they look at these Galileans, these uneducated Galileans. They're looking at them going, how on earth is that happening? And what did Peter do? He took them to the prophet Joel, to a prophecy hundreds of years old, and said, this is fulfilled today in your hearing. It's happening to you right now. All of God's word is right now, yes and amen. Hallelujah. People say, oh, the Bible's not relevant anymore. It's never been more relevant. As a matter of fact, the difference between living and failing in this life for a believer and the unsaved alike is in the Word of God. Do you know it? Are you trusting God's Word? Are you trusting the Holy Spirit to guide you and lead you in that Word into all knowledge? To pull up verses of Scripture that have been hidden in your heart. Maybe you heard it as a child. Maybe you read it on a bumper sticker and the Holy Spirit draws it up and it's so alive it's like a grenade going off in the kingdom of darkness. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, the generosity that we have is a generosity from heaven. Backed by all of the resources of heaven, there's nothing the kingdom of darkness can do about it. Hallelujah. 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 You know, this generosity, the resources, is actually our birthright. In Christ. The Bible says he's the firstborn amongst many brethren. Hallelujah. Firstborn amongst many brethren. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 11 to 18, I want to read this whole passage to you. Paul talking to the church in Corinth, and he's talking to them about giving, sowing a seed, for the benefit of another part of the body of Christ somewhere else. And he says, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Hold on to that. You are restricted by your own affections. This is what Paul said to believers. You are restricted by your own affections, the things that you love. Now, in return for the same, I speak to you as children. You also be open. He's saying, listen to me. I love you. I'm being honest with you. I want you to listen to me. I need to talk to you about what you love. Because what you love is holding you back. Verse 14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Paul talking to believers. Hallelujah. Verse 17, therefore come out from among them and be separate, 
says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be your father, and you shall be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. We're not only resourced by heaven, we're heirs in the courts of heaven. We, we, we're, we're by birthright through Christ, we have a right to all of the resources of heaven. So there is no limit to a limitless God. There is no limit to the limitless resources of heaven. But you know, things get serious. God takes this serious. There are things about us that obstruct the kingdom of God. We're in the kingdom of God, and we obstruct it. We hold it back. We resist here. We hold back there. We hide over here. Just like Paul said, I'm being open with you. Come, be open with me. Open yourself up. Some of the most terrifying verses you'll find in the Bible are in Matthew 23. In Matthew 23 Jesus comes out with eight woes. I'm telling you, there is no worse pronouncement in Scripture than woe to. That means pain, suffering, you know, just the worst thing, the worst manifestation of the curse that's on the earth is about to come upon you. Whoa! We say it to horses, you know, when they're going into danger. Whoa! You know? Jesus, talking to the Pharisees and the scribes, Matthew 23, verse 13, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you devour a widow's, house, widow's houses, and for a pretense make a long prayer. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. Devouring widows' houses. Taking everything that they have. Giving them nothing. And making a show of it as if it's something that God wanted them to do. Look at these guys. But that first verse should be an eye-opener to you. For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. In other words, you stand in front of the door to the kingdom of heaven and you obstruct people from entering in. The literal translation of that is you stand in front and you obstruct people from entering in. How often as believers, when we get it wrong, when we're resistant, when we're rebellious, how often is that example, that impact that it has shutting people off from entering into the kingdom of heaven or allowing the kingdom of heaven to flow through us into the world around us and have an impact on people. Oh, hallelujah. Now, we're not under the curse. We're redeemed from the curse, hallelujah. Praise God. You can thank God for that because you and I would be in trouble otherwise. Hallelujah. I know I daily need God to search my heart. I need daily for the word of God to look at me and say, Kev, come here. I've got something I want to show you. Can we work on this? My answer is not always yes. Sometimes my answer is like, hmm. 
I'm going to go plant some trees. You know, I want to go do something else. Maybe I can do something else that's good, God. Can I do something else for you that's good? Oh, hallelujah. You know, the worst restrictions of God's will in Jesus' day was the Pharisees. They were in power. They actually had the gospel. Do you know the gospel isn't just a New Testament thing? The good news was in the Old Testament. How beautiful are the feet upon the hills of him who carries glad tidings. Good news. Good news. The good news was in the Old Testament. God is dealing with sin. God, God's got a plan for this fallen world. It was good news, and it was meant to go out, and the Jews were meant to take it to all the nations, but they, over the years they turned it into a religion, a way of point scoring with God. And by the time of Jesus' time, do you realize that, that the, the manifest presence, the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God was literally no longer present in the Holy of Holies in the temple. God had left a long time before. He had lifted his presence. When the veil was rent in two on the day that Christ was crucified, when the veil was rent, it simply showed that God left. Elvis has left the building. Forget about Elvis. God had left their lives. Along that list of woes there, these guys shutting the door, in verses 23 and 24, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the other undone. You know, I've, I've heard quite a bit in this church we have people go, I don't really believe tithing is a New Testament thing. And then there are people like, no, it's a New Testament thing. It's either one or the other. And people have kind of drawn a battle line. It's one or the other. You're either for it or you're not for it. And it's not one or the other. It's both and. and I want to just take this opportunity to explain that to you. You deserve to know this. This is one of the areas that we keep missing. And I believe it's one of the areas where we stand in front of the entrance to the kingdom of heaven and withhold the kingdom of heaven, the fullness in its fullness coming through into our lives. So I'd ask you to be patient with me as I just divert into tithing. Brian talked about it last week very briefly. He said, I believe in tithing. I got to tell you, I believe in tithing too. Every letter of it. I believe in every letter that describes the purpose of tithing, God's plan. What was tithing for? That has not passed away. In verse 24 of Matthew 23 there, Jesus goes on to say, blind guys who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. In other words, they spend up big, high consumption. They consume a lot of stuff. They look good, wearing the latest clothes. I check out my sandals. That basketball player, he wears these sandals. Did you know that? These guys were all show. They had their phylacteries. They, they, they grew them long. They, you know, they had the tassels nice and long, made them a little bit longer than everybody else so they looked a little more holy. Their phylacteries were, were bigger. 
that they would wrap around their arms the word of God in it, and they would wrap around their head, and they would do that. Why? To make a bigger show of things. No wonder Jesus called them hypocrites. When he said they strain out a gnat, when it came to tithing, which is tenth. So in the Old Testament, they were instructed that they would take a tenth of everything that they earned, and they would set that aside, and they would give it in to the temple that was tithing. They would give of their tithe, their tenth. So tithe simply means tenth. And so they would give of that tenth. But these guys didn't just give of a tenth. They went down. They were sitting there with the scales. You can imagine these guys, their glasses on, going, I don't want to give too much. I want to give just enough. I don't want to give too little, but I don't want to give too much. And they're like, okay. And Jesus is saying there with, with uh, you pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin, these were the least of the things that anybody could tithe. It was the smallest thing, the most insignificant thing. Out of everything in God's plan, everything that God considers to be important, it was important, but it was the least of everything that was important. And they're there trying to just... You're just going to get enough. And they thought that God was pleased with that. God said, if you're faithful and little, he'll make you ruler over much. But if you're sitting there going through the motions with the wrong heart motivation, it's not going to work. It's a heart issue. Generosity is a matter of the heart. And so much about the tithe deals with our hearts. Why? What is it about money that we get so attached to? It's like we're free and we're full of faith and we've got great declarations, but when it comes to money, sometimes we go, next thing you know, we're sitting there with you know, coming and anise and going, eh, just a little bit. You know, we're squeaking it out. God, I, I got bills to pay, so, you know. And we sit there and we do that. But Jesus said, look, you need to do that. But don't leave justice, mercy, and faith undone. These things are more important, but don't leave the other thing undone as well. So what was the purpose of tithing? The purpose of tithing was that in the Old Testament, those who served in God's house, the Levites was the name of that particular tribe, they did not get any land in the promised land. They had no inheritance in the land. But all the other tribes had to bring in the tithe from their land, and the Levites would serve in the house. They would serve faithfully in the house. In Malachi chapter 3, God really tells off, through the prophet Malachi, tells off the nation, you've robbed me. And they're like, how have you robbed me? In tithes and in offerings. And then he makes a challenge. Bring the full tithe. Go do what you know you're supposed to do. Bring all of it into the house and see, test me in this, and see if I won't pour out a blessing that you don't even have room enough to receive. I mean, that is bold to us. It sounds bold, doesn't it? But to God, it's nothing. He's like, I'm faithful. You do your part, I'm faithful. You do what I've told you to do. You be obedient to that. I'm faithful. What's the reason for the tithe? To support those who work full-time in God's house. You know, the Levites didn't have time to tend the farm. 
They didn't have time to run a business on the side. Those guys did not have time. They were given full time to the service of God, and God said they need to be supported. Right. That's what the tithe was for. You know, I hated tithing. The very idea of tithing when I first heard it. So I, I got a Bible, and then uh, it was about a year and a half later, God really starts dealing with me about tithing. It seemed like every time I read scripture, I'm staring at tithing. And people were asking me, so what do you think about tithing? Well, I don't know anything about tithing. You know, it's like, I don't, I went from, I don't know anything about tithing to, I don't want to know anything about tithing, you know, because it's like, okay, if I know it, then I might be responsible for it. So la, 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 I'm not listening, you know, and then, and then I got to this point of, okay, I know what tithing is. Oh, oh. And Jenny and I, we had learned how to sow seed, how to sow in faith. And we wanted to take our kids and Jenny, had been married a, about a year. We wanted to head across to, um, to, uh, to the U.S. And we wanted to visit another children's ministry, see what they were doing. It was Super Kid Academy at Eagle Mountain International Church in Texas. And, and so we were going to do that. It was going to be a real faith journey. And, uh, um, and when, we, uh, when it was time, we sort of totted up what it was going to cost us. And we went and we sowed a seed. Because God will multiply things for you. And, and we sowed a seed and said, God, we're trusting that you're going to provide everything that we need for this trip. And so we sowed our seed first. And our seed left us with 300 bucks to travel with uh, three children and a baby and a, a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, to go to the U.S. And we left with 300. And as we're walking out the front door, Jenny rolls her ankle on this dodgy step that was out the front of this place, and her ankle swelled up immediately, swelled right up. And we're putting bags in the car to go to the airport. And we're like, okay, Jen, what do you want to do? And she said, we're going in Jesus' name. God will take care of this. We're going. And so we got in the car with her swollen ankle, all the kids, 300 bucks, and we travel. Come on. Anyway, we're sitting there. And John Avanzini, I don't know if you know him, John Avanzini steps up. He was the guest speaker, so I was a little disappointed. And then uh, John starts talking about tithing. And that was the very thing I'm wrestling with. I'm like, what? I'm sitting there grumping in my heart. God, you, he's, you're talking about tithing. I don't even know if I believe it. What is going on? And we come all this way, and you're talking about tithing. Are you killing me? And in the middle of my grumping... And him preaching on tithing, I didn't even know what he would said. I was grumping so bad, I did not even hear what John Ivanzini said. I did not even hear it. But boy, he was preaching up a storm. And Jenny's sitting next to me, and about halfway through, no altar call, no nothing, no call for healing. Jenny elbows me in the ribs. Her, her shoe that had been laced out because her ankle was so swollen and discolored, it was well and truly discolored by this time, uh, had suddenly gone back to normal and was normal color, but her boot was still laced out. I was like, oh, hallelujah. I said to the people who brought us there, I was like, Jenny just got healed. And go, oh, yeah, yeah. God confirms his word with signs and wonders and miracles. Like, oh, oh, yes, hallelujah, Lord. I had to go home and deal with the fact that God just gave me a witness that tithing is something I needed to deal with. And you know what? Jenny and I started tithing when we got back. We started tithing. And it was hard. Somebody said, oh, if you can't do 10%, do 5% and start from there. And I was like, nope, if we're going to do this, let's just do this. And so we started tithing 
And honestly, we looked at the bills and we're like, the bills are bigger than our bank account. We were struggling to get petrol just to go to church to serve in children's ministry. And that's when I learned you take your bills and you lay them down first. You don't look at what you have. You take your bills and you lay them before God. And you say, God, I thank you, hallelujah, that I am exceedingly and abundantly blessed beyond all that I can ask, think, or even imagine. That even the devourer, the things that used to come and waste my money and waste my resources has been rebuked for me because that's what Scripture says, hallelujah. You know, the principles of tithing in the Old Testament are still alive today. Still alive today. What did Paul say in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17? Every scripture is God-breathed, given by inspiration and pro- of the, uh, given by his inspiration and profitable for instruction, for reproof, for conviction of sin, for correction of error and discipline in obedience, and for training in righteousness, in holy living, in conformity to God's will, in thought. Purpose and action, verse 17, so that the man of God may be complete and proficient, well-fitted and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, in terms of our bank account, we've had some lean seasons and we've had some fat seasons. We've paid every bill. We have eaten every meal. We haven't missed a thing. And at every turn, when catastrophe strikes, God took care of everything. He has always been faithful to take care of everything. I can testify that he is true to his word. What he declared in Malachi 3 that he will do, I'm telling you he's faithful. He watches over it to do it, and he searches the earth for sons and daughters whose hearts are joyfully before him going, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! I'm going to give hallelujah out of a cheerful heart. Hallelujah! Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. So what does that principle of tithing teach us? Well, it teaches this. I'm going to sum it up for you. You might want to write this down. It teaches that in the kingdom of God, every son and daughter has a proportional responsibility to the upkeep of the house, to the upkeep of those who serve in the house full-time, who are serving full-time and don't have time for a part-time job or to run a business on the side. They have given that up, and they've gone into God's house and said, God, I give you my life. Now, i got to tell you up front, as a pastor, I don't rely on your tithes. If I did, I think I'd be in trouble. I have to tell you, I believe that I would be in trouble. I look beyond you. I look to the God who provides everything that I need. No pastor should stand and rely on the flock and look only to the flock to provide. They should not. And there are times where we get in the ditch and we labor. Hallelujah. We do that. But the Word of God declares, Paul made it clear, he brings this principle into the New Testament as well. That we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility for those who teach and who labor in the house full time. 
And God put that in place, and he put such a blessing on it. He put such a blessing on it that anyone who will test him in it will not be disappointed. He is faithful. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 8. Remember this, he who sows sparingly and grudgingly will also reap sparingly and grudgingly, and he who sows generously. That blessing may come to someone. I want you to catch that. Sows generously so that blessing may come to someone. will also reap generously and with blessings. Verse 7, let each one give as he has made up his own mind and purposed in his heart, not reluctantly or sorrowfully or, or, or under compulsion like Kev did and was grappling with at Eagle Mountain Inter- International Church. For God loves, he takes pleasure in prizes above all other things and is unwilling to abandon or to do without a cheerful, joyous, prompt-to-do-it giver whose heart is in the giving. We don't give of our finances. We give of our heart. Whatever is in our heart, that is what we give. Hallelujah. And we give that blessing may flow to others. I don't know about you, but God did not call us to be dams or reservoirs. He describes us as cups that overflow. I'm full. I am all sufficient in everything, not because of me, but because of Christ, hallelujah, because of God who has provided everything and continues to provide everything. I am a river, if anything else, that's meant to flow out into this world, hallelujah. There's more than enough for me, and I know it'll keep on coming. It'll keep on coming, hallelujah. So I can abound to every good work. I can overflow in absolutely everything because of the God who supplies my every need, hallelujah. Verse 8, and God is able. Everybody say, God is able. To make all grace, in other words, every favor and earthly blessing come to you in abundance so that you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need be, self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support and furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. Hallelujah. Got more than enough, I can overflow at every occasion. It's not dependent on my bank account. My bank account lies. It does not tell anyone or anything, including me, what I got stored up in heaven, what I can make a withdrawal from today. These principles are immutable. Hallelujah. They're unchanging because God is unchanging. God is unchanging. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, the purpose of the tithe remains today. And it is that purpose of proportional responsibility in the house of God. The one with $10 has the same amount of responsibility with, as the one with $10 million. Same responsibility, proportional responsibility. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 18. Let the elders who perform the duties of their office well be considered doubly worthy of honor and be adequate and of adequate financial support, especially those who labor faithfully in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox 
when it is treading out grain. And again, the laborer is worthy of his hire. That is tithing, the principle of tithing in the New Testament that is out of the mouth of Paul. It is the same exact principle. It has not gone away. But what was hidden, the meaning of it was hidden in the Old Testament has been revealed in the New Testament. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So is tithing an Old Testament versus a New Testament thing? Yes and no. I hope you can see the yes and the no in that. It is different. It's about revelation. Generosity is a matter of the heart. But all of our giving must be in light of the cross. I want to bring you back to the cross as we start to just bring this in for a landing. Christ in Gethsemane, he was alone. And when he considered the sacrifice that was set before him, that was required of him, he prayed. Hallelujah. Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. How many of us are willing to go in the dead of night and sit alone with God when he's dealing with us, when he's leading us to do something that's going to bring forth such great blessing for others, but we are grappling with it. We're, we're holding on. We're resisting. What, what is it about us? Well, I can tell you what it is about God. He's patient. Our God is the only God who in Scripture says, Come, come, let us reason together. Come, I'll walk you through it. Let me explain this to you. You deserve to believe and believe well. Amen. Hallelujah. Right, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, it did not end up at the, end at the cross. In Luke chapter 9, verses 23, verse 23, Jesus said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Remember what Brian said, you own nothing. Well, it's true. Naked you come, naked you go. Picking up the cross, that kind of dying to ourselves, dying to the lust of our flesh, dying to the lust of our eyes, dying to all of the lies that we tell ourselves when we know we're out of God's will, dying to all of it, and just saying, I abandon all of it. I pick up the cross. I'm going to follow you, Lord, wherever you want to lead me. Whatever that purpose is, I'm going to follow you. Because there's nothing else for us to do. There is nothing else for us to do. There's nothing else for the believer to do. We must pick it up. There must be a daily dying to ourselves. You know, it's time for us to throw off the limits, you know, at the cross and in light of the cross and picking up our cross and leaving the things of this world behind, separating ourselves from the things of this world, the ways of this world, the ideas of this world, and leaving those things behind, we move beyond the cross, hallelujah. We go out, hallelujah. On the third day, Christ rose again. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father, seated on the mercy seat, dispensing mercy, hallelujah. He's the firstborn amongst many brethren. What did, they pro what did he proclaim? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What did he tell the disciples to proclaim? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That mission has not changed. 
It has not changed. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Christ has made a way. There is a way for those who are lost today out in the world. But I, I'm fearful that the body of Christ, as the body of Christ, we're failing our mission because in so many ways we stand in front of the door that blessings should be flowing through. Blessings flow. Blessings are not trophies. Blessings are not books on a shelf. It's not food in a fridge or money in a bank account. Blessings flow. Hallelujah. They flow to others. Hallelujah. If God puts, provides rain on the righteous and the unrighteous alike, well, should we not just go out and just be like a blessing bomb in this world? Should we just not explode with blessing at every opportunity? We keep missing our moments, I'm afraid. We have the power to limit God. We have the power to limit God. That's terrifying. But God remains without limit. Chew on that one for a little while. God remains without limit. You know, it says that he owns cattle on a thousand hills, sheep and goats alike. <laughs> Saved and unsaved alike. He's able to bring blessing to wherever it needs to be from a lot of different directions. He gives opportunity to this one and to that one, and he waits patiently for us to act. But God will take an entire calling that a person will have, an entire mantle of ministry that God has created for that person, and if they don't act and they don't move or they act without integrity, God will pick that mantle up and he will place it on another. He will place it on another. He will not waste it forever. He will not see it sit idle forever. But God is patient and he is long-suffering. Conversely, we also have the power to stand aside and allow the limitless resources of a limitless God to flow through us and to flow through our lives. In Matthew 7, 7, it says, Ask, and you shall be given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. Ask, seek, knock. What's he saying there? I'm faithful. You have not because you haven't asked. Or you ask amiss. You got the wrong motivation. Better check that heart. Don't ask amiss. Or you're asking for it, but you still haven't done what I told you to do. <laughs> That's going to come. But let's talk about this. Come on. Hallelujah. Oh, he's so loving. He's so kind. But because he loves, he brings correction. Hallelujah. Seek, and you shall find. I love ask, you know. Ask is the starting point of faith. That's where you move uh, from hope to starting to move in faith. God, I ask you. And then seek. Well, seek is to be in motion, right? Everywhere I go, I'm looking. I'm waiting. I asked for it. Now I'm looking. Now I'm waiting. I'm watching. I'm looking. I'm seeking. Hallelujah. And you know what? You seek for a while. 
Sometimes it seems like you seek for a long time. Hallelujah. A long time. I'm telling you, Jenny and I sought for a house to own for 26 years. Oh, hallelujah. I'm telling you, that's a long seeking. Some of you have maybe been doing it for longer. But eventually we get on a door and we knock on it, and it opens divinely. No, no sooner do the knuckles hit the door than the door goes, and it opens. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Ask, seek, knock. He's faithful. Amen. He provides. Yes. You know, Christ who endured the cross has not lied. You know, and the Father who raised Christ from the dead, he is faithful. And the Holy Spirit within us is more than able to guide us and lead us into all knowledge, to navigate us through every circumstance and every situation. You can go ahead and quit thinking about it and just be generous. Just be generous. Just allow God to flow. If you feel like you're standing in front of a door of blessing that God wants to flow through into this earth, why don't you kneel before him and allow it to flow over you? Why don't you humble yourself under it and allow it to flow over you? Just allow God to do it. I'd like to invite the worship team back, if we can. Hallelujah. Maybe it's doubts that the enemy's been using to delay God's purpose in your life. Maybe you've been second-guessing things. And our God is the God who multiplies. He's the only one who multiplies. He's the only one who declares to us that he will multiply the things that we trust him with. In other words, he brings life. And he provides seed to the sower. Don't eat your seed. (laughs) So many people eat their seed or they waste it on Netflix. Quit wasting your seed for what you spend on something like Netflix or something else that you might be wasting your money on. You know for a fact that that could be put into the ground in the kingdom of God and God could do something with it. What what would happen in the kingdom of God? What would happen in our lives and in our city if we just cut off everything that does not serve God's purpose. What if we just cut it off? You know, during the fasting and prayer that's coming up these three days, and even right now, there's some flyers out there at reception. Grab one. You've got our information for our three days of fasting and prayer on one side. It's got everything you need to know. Um, And then on the other side, we've got the Canberra Declaration, 31 days of fasting and prayer all throughout the month of October. Believers all around Australia and around the world joining together to do what to fast to cut off the things of this world to separate themselves to quit wasting time in front of the idiot box and to go and get on their knees before God to humble themselves to repent if necessary to intercede certainly to pray for others to sit in silence and just listen for that still small voice to speak life to speak purpose maybe for for waters to flood into the dry places in our heart and in our families. 
Oh, there's so much that happens in fasting and prayer. I, I hope that you guys are going to be there for all of the Zoom sessions. I hope you're going to be there in person at 7 p.m. on the Monday and the Tuesday. I hope you're going to be here at 9.30 next Sunday morning. I don't mean parking. I mean be here. Make a plan to be here already. These are little sacrifices, but you know we waste our time. Brian said it last week. I agree with it. We waste our time. I got to agree with Brian. I waste my time. I waste time. I want to be done wasting time. I don't want to waste time down here. The times are serious. And I don't think we have a lot of time. Hallelujah. Sweet relief is on the way, and we got to make sure everybody knows. It's good news. It's good news. Jesus is God. He left everything in heaven, left it all behind, and he came, and he was born of a virgin, Mary. And he lived as we do. At his birth, the signs in the heavens that Scripture said would be there were there. The Magi saw them, calculated them, Mathematicians in the 1400s and 1500s tried to calculate what was that wandering star? What was that bright star? What were they? And they worked out how to calculate it, but they didn't quite get there. But we used their maths to send probes to other planets. The maths that they discovered because they were searching for the truth of what was in Scripture. They only missed it by a year. Johannes Kepler, go and look him up. But the Magi knew what it was. Maybe for Christmas I'll do a full session and show you on the big screen exactly the animations that I'm talking about of the night sky around the birth of Christ. But there were signs in the heavens at his birth. Hallelujah. The birth of no king ever in the history of the planet has had signs in the heavens written about him. He came, he was born, he lived in every way as we do. He was tempted in every way as we are tempted, but he did it without sin. He didn't miss the mark once. He was faithful at every turn. And under the greatest night of crushing that any person has ever endured in Gethsemane, he was able to sit there looking at the accumulation of all of our sins and saying, Father, is there another way but not my will? Not my will. Your will. Yeah. And the answer, no, was good enough. The answer, no, was good enough. Hallelujah. And he endured the cross. He endured the cross. Every man walking out on the sidewalk, every family out playing in the park, everyone here today, everyone around the world busy with all of their pursuits, soldiers at war, all of the trauma going on in the world right now, all of the uncertainty, every single person, all of their sins did he take upon him on the cross. He paid those sins in full. The Bible says he drank the cup to the dregs. He drank it to the dregs on the cross. And he died and he was buried 
And the third day he rose again because he had done no wrong. Hell could not hold him. Death could not hold him. And when he rose, he rose with the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Those three things we don't have to worry about. Death, hell, and the grave. Death holds no sting for the believer. Hell, you're never going to even smell it. The grave, even if one day we have to bury you or you have to bury me, I want you just to write on my tombstone, no epitaph, I just want an arrow that just says emergency exit, <laughs> evacuation, I'm coming up. Please stand back for your own safety because I'm coming up because the Bible says in the moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the dead in Christ from all the ages will come alive. They will rise. Hallelujah. And they won't rise to stand next to the grave. They will be skyward bound. Hallelujah. And those of us who are alive at that time, still walking around, will be caught up together in an instant with them to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we ever be with the Lord. We'll return to heaven for seven years, the, the, the wedding supper of the Lamb. And because in that split second when we're all taken out of here, the Bible says that the one who restrains the Holy Spirit will be taken out of the way. And just in that split second when there are no born-again believers in the earth, just in that split second, Antichrist will be released. And then all hell will break loose for seven years, the second half of that being the Great Tribulation period. But at the end of that, Christ will return, hallelujah, the glorious appearing. We will be with him, hallelujah, dressed in white. All of our tears having been wiped away, we will come back and he will put an end. He will put an end to the governments of the world. He'll put an end to all of the pain and the suffering. There'll be an end of sin. And there'll be a thousand years of peace. And at the end of that, all things will be made right. It'll be as if... What happened in the garden with Adam and Eve never happened at all. What a blessed hope and a future we have. The world can have their great reset because our God has the greatest reset of all. Hallelujah. And you can access it today in Jesus' name. You can access it today. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads and bow our hearts. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the word. Holy Spirit, we're so thankful for you coming and moving and speaking to us today and moving across our hearts and whispering to each one. You're so welcome here. Hallelujah. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for enduring it for us. We're so thankful that you're seated at the right hand with all authority in heaven and in earth in your name. Hallelujah. Oh, we give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory. We say thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Just ask that you would come and complete whatever it is that you've been speaking to each person about today we just provide a moment for you to linger. I just want to 
invite you to invite God to the deepest recesses of your heart. He may have a question for you. He may have a challenge. You may have something you need to lay down today. Maybe today is the first time you've heard the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. And deep within your heart, you're going, I know this is right. I know this is right. I can just testify my journey started there. If your journey started there too, can you just say hallelujah real quick? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Chorus of the ages, hallelujah. Hallelujah. All that's required to be saved, to be born again, is to acknowledge your need for a Savior. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Believe with your heart that, that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead and that he's paid for your sins in total. And that because he lives, you can live. There's forgiveness in the name of Jesus. Just believe on the person of Jesus Christ. God, in human skin, come to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And then confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is your Lord. If you want to confess him before people here today, you can do that too. Just come up to me at the end of service. But as the worship team leads us in worship, I want to invite you. We'll just clear the front here. And if you need to get on your knees or get on your face, or maybe you need to sit in a corner and, and, or just sit where you are. Whatever it is you need to do, I encourage you to respond today encourage you to respond today. Today is the day of salvation for those of you who've just heard the gospel for the first time. But today is the day for us to get out of the doorway for believers. It's time to get out of the doorway of blessing for this world. That it would flow. It's time. It's time. declare this and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.